So let me uh, just pray for the offering, and then we're going to dive right into part two of our series, Wrecked by Love. So Father, thank you so much for your goodness and all that we've been able to encounter already today. And now as we transition into the Word of God and as we take the time to consider what to give and, and go into this ministry, thank you that your presence is here, and thank you that you want to speak to us. So we bless the offering of what is given to be used and multiplied for the expansion of your kingdom. And we thank you now for the preaching of the word of God, Holy Spirit, that you may bring an individual word to every single one of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Years and years ago, I remember going to SeaWorld for the very first time. Now, I know there's one here in Texas, but uh, there's a really big one in San Diego. And as a little kid, we got to go, uh, my family, which is my mom, my dad, my sister, and I, and then some aunts and uncles uh, came with us as well. And we went to go watch Shamu. I think it was like the original Shamu uh, and the Sea Lion Show and all that type of stuff. I remember my uncle and my cousin, who really was like my best friend growing up, my uncle, my cousin, and I, we watched that little sea otter show. And we were done with the show and we were leaving. And as we were leaving, we saw this kiosk in the middle of a giant walkway. And it had, you know, sailors, captains, hats, and little toys and boats and stuffed animals. And my little cousin, he wanted um, a hat. He was really fixated on a captain's hat. So we walked over, and, and he's trying some on, and, and my uncle's trying to ask him which one he wants. I'm also trying some on, because in my head, I thought that my uncle was buying my, my cousin a hat, but he was also buying me a hat. Why wouldn't he, right? So I try one on that I like, and it was the very first time in my little life that I accidentally stole something because I assumed that my uncle was going to buy it for me. So I just walk on off with the sailor's hat on my head and the cashier said nothing. And I come up to my mom who had gone to a different show and she's like, where'd you get that hat? I'm like, my Theo bought it for me. And my uncle was like, "Uh, no, I didn't. I bought one for your cousin. I didn't know I was buying one for you. And then my uncle being my uncle, he's like, ooh, you're going to jail. I'm like, the perfect thing to say to a little five-year-old who committed his first crime, right? But I just assume, like, why wouldn't you? Like, if you're going to buy one for my cousin, why wouldn't you for me? And I think in, in the church, it's interesting to me how many people don't have the automatic assumption that God is a good God who wants to give good things to his children, that he would be a, a God who would somehow withhold, even though the scriptures say no good thing will he withhold from them who love him. And there's so many scriptures in the Bible that talk about the absolute goodness of God. I mean, James 1.17 talks about every good and perfect gift comes from above from the Father of lights. And we can read one after the other. Last week, I, I talked about the uh, Slurpee verse, right? Matthew 7.11, 7.11, like the little gas station with the Slurpees. And it said, if you being evil know how to give good things to your children, how much more your heavenly Father who is perfect does not want to give good things to his children. And I've been amazed by how we don't automatically think that God is good and he's good all the time because of the evilness and the crazy things that we see in our world. But today we're moving on to part two of our series called Wrecked by Love. It's based off of a book I wrote and released in 2016. And I'm not just stealing from that book. Uh, I'm taking the general concepts and God has given me fresh wind and fresh fire to preach on from this book. Uh, John Wesley once said, every seven years, I burn all of my sermons. Because in seven years, if I can't preach better sermons, what good am I? And I feel the same. I wrote a book uh, five, six years ago, uh, but I feel like God has given me fresh things that I want to share on. And last week, we talked about uh, the spirit of sonship, 
which is being a daughter and a son of God, and how we can encounter this amazing father that's not really talked about a whole lot in church. We hear Jesus all the time, Jesus be the center of it all. If we're Pentecostal, sure enough, we're going to hear a lot of Holy Spirit talk, and a lot of Holy Roller stuff, but rarely do we hear about the father and his children and this father's love because of multiple uh, different things. And today I want to go from just encountering God to really embracing our identity and fortifying who we are as sons and daughters, because it's that incredibly vital. Uh, The theology of sonship is so vital, yet it's so overlooked. And I still cannot fully grasp or understand why. My only thoughts are that when we talk about God is a good God and we're his children, that most people either think it's too elementary of a teaching, so we bypass it, or there's too much fear. As in, I had a horrible father growing up, or I've never had a, a true love where I've been affirmed and been given affection and been felt secure. So it's either I know God loves me, and that's a very dangerous statement to make in Christianity, by the way. Oh, I know God loves me, like we're just brushing it off. His love is infinite. It's never exhaustible. We can continue to go deeper in the love of God. So saying, oh, yeah, I know he loves me. That's a dangerous thing to say. But also, I'm afraid because I feared my earthly father, and I don't know how to commune with my heavenly father. So we kind of just overlook it because talking about Jesus and talking Holy Spirit is so much easier. It's not as messy sometimes. and doesn't tug so much on the heartstrings. But to me, Jesus came to earth, and one of the most important things that he did was reveal the father. He said, I'm the son of man, son of God, son of David. I have come as a physical manifestation of the father. So to me, it boils down to simple obedience that if Jesus came to this world to reveal the father, then I better pay attention. Then I better open my heart to to having the father being revealed to me. If it was a top priority for Jesus, then it must be a top priority in my life. But personally, no other revelation has really sparked a fire in me and transformed my life much more than knowing that I'm a son who is dearly loved from the father, knowing that I have my security, that I have my safety, that I have my identity, that I have all that I need that is found in his heart and his love for me. No other revelation has set me apart. And so today I want to look at two aspects of really understanding sonship. So in your bulletins, and if you're taking notes, you can fill in point number one which is God calls me his child. God calls me his child. Wow. Groundbreaking, revolutionary, Pastor Rudy. Yes, we know we're a child of God, but do we really? Do we really fully live out our sonship? I love my mom to pieces. Sweetest lady, she's one of my best friends. She calls me pretty much every other day. She's that type of mom that calls and calls and calls, and I always pick up. I love having conversations with my mama. And she's a funny human being because she will spend top dollar on some incredible equipment and never use it. I mean, I have a 2011 MacBook. She bought this brand new $2,000 powerhouse of a laptop. She has that gigantic iPad Pro. She has all the goodies, never uses them. You know, I'm still teaching her how to convert to a PDF, and I'm still trying to teach her about FaceTime and, and how to operate her smart TV. I'm like, you spend all this money on these giant devices, and you never use them. Why? And basically, it boils down to she pays top dollar because you get what you pay for. And she wants to know that if I buy a computer, I'm going to spend top dollar because it's not going to give me issues. If I buy a $200 computer, I can run into viruses and other things. 
but she's paying all this money and not using the full extent of what she purchased. And I think the same is true for us and our identity that, that we have been given access to the creator of the universe. We can commune with the creator. We have been given every spiritual blessing. We have been called a child from God, but so many of us can still live as orphans. Some of us can still act as if we're spiritual orphans, even though we have been called children of God. And I think that so many churches are so geared to get the lost in the church, get them to say the sinner's prayer and get them to find salvation in Jesus. And then we leave it at that. A lot of churches are very strong on evangelism, which we need. But so many churches struggle with discipleship and a transforming aspect of God's grace. Because it's one thing to lead somebody to salvation. It's another thing for those who have been saved to be transformed by his grace, to become manifested into a child of God. And again, our job is not just to lead people to salvation, but it's to help them fully understand who they are so that they can experience true transformation in their life. It's just amazing to me that you can be saved, you can be delivered, you can have perfect attendance at church, you can be a tither, lead a small group, you can do all these wonderful things in Christianity, you're on your way to heaven, but you can still live as a spiritual orphan. Now, we know that hypocrisy is no stranger to the church, right? Many people are like, oh, I'm not going to go to church. It's filled with hypocrites. We still go to the gym. It's filled with chubby people, right? <laughs> like, that's the point. Like, we're here to grow together and to learn and to be transformed. But hypocrisy is not just a- an issue with sin as much as it's an issue with missing the mark. Because, see, sin is not just um, doing the right thing. It- it's also obey- obeying God to the point where when he calls you even into something scary, you'll still obey and not ignore it. Because you can sin by doing something wrong. You can sin by doing something evil, but you can also sin when the father says something and you're too afraid so you don't do it. It's the failure to also do something right. And so in our hypocrisy, it's not so much just about our sin as much as it's we're called to be children of God. We're called to manifest his presence. We're called to be co-heirs co-laborers, ambassadors for Christ on earth as it is in heaven. And if we, for whatever reason, refuse or are too afraid, we're walking in disobedience to what the Father has led us because we are to operate as children. I love Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, be imitators of God as beloved children. So if we want to be like Jesus, if, if we want to live like God, then what we need to do is really fully understand our sonship our identity as children, because we are to imitate him as children. And I'm not going to turn there in the Bible, um, and you don't have to as well. It'll be right up here on the screens. But Romans 8, uh, verse 15, it says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So through Jesus, the the Gentiles and the Jews and all alike have been adopted into the family of God. We have returned to the embrace of the Father because of the sacrifice of what Jesus did. Now we can operate as children. And a child who is loved and knows that they are loved, they operate a certain way, don't they? They're safe. They're secure. They know their identity. They're confident. I remember one time when Gabriel was uh, smaller, probably first grade or so, um, he's standing in line at the snack shack at school. It's a Christian private school at the church that I worked at. And the principal's son, who was on staff, 
cut in line at the front. And he goes, uh, hey, guys. He's like, no, you can't cut. You're cutting in line. You can't do that. He's like, it's okay. I'm the principal's son. It's okay. And my little six-year-old pops his head out and he's like, well, I'm the pastor's son and that's better, so get out, <laughs> right? No lack of confidence, no lack of confidence. But when you are loved, it produces a confidence. When you are nurtured and taken care of, it produces a security and, and this uh, affirmation and, and this assertiveness that comes in you. But when you don't know that, you don't feel loved by the Father, there's something off spiritually you begin to manifest and operate like a spiritual orphan. And an orphan, it's, it's a much different type of a child. That, that orphan lives in fear. That orphan lives in doubt. That orphan lives in hurt. Why would I be forsaken? That orphan lives in a survivalist mentality where I don't care who I step over or who I hurt or how I get to the top, I'm going to get to the top. We've all experienced somebody who wanted to climb the corporate ladder by any means necessary. As a spiritual orphan, I don't care who I hurt or who I plow through to get to the top. I'm getting to the top because there's a deep need in my heart that hasn't been fulfilled. And I somehow think the top of that ladder is going to fulfill it. That's the manifestation of a spiritual orphan. And it's what we need to avoid. Uh, and I believe that th this nature of a spiritual orphan was really birthed by what happened in the Garden of Eden. Now, again, this is biblically based in my opinion, but it's also my theory. So take this for a grain of salt here. But I believe that the devil was the very first spiritual orphan. A question a lot of people ask is, how could Lucifer sin in heaven and be kicked out of heaven? Does that mean that one day I can be in heaven and I could sin and I can get kicked out of, of that? Well, I believe that Lucifer, this, this archangel of worship, was sent to minister to Adam and Eve on planet Earth, where there was supposed to be a heaven on Earth-like experience and perfection in the garden. No separation, no sin, no sorrow, none of that. It was just perfection in the garden with no sin and perfect intimacy with the Father. So Lucifer came to minister to Adam and Eve, and an angel is a created being, an infinite being. An angel cannot give their heart to the Lord as Savior and become saved and have the type of relationship that we do with the Father. So Lucifer, who already had pride in his heart, comes down is supposed to minister, sees Adam and Eve and the relationship that they have with the Father, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, face to face with the Lord, and there was a jealousy. So therefore, there became a temptation. And this first spiritual orphan, the devil, was able to get Adam and Eve to also become spiritual orphans along with him. And I believe that if, if the devil who was cast to eternal punishment and now is separated eternally from God, if he wants to get back at God, if he wants to distract from God's plan, what is the best way to do that? Is to make as many spiritual orphans as possible, to help as many people live distracted and to live in fear and to live in doubt and to get them to believe, ah, God doesn't love me. God isn't for me. God is against me. What am I doing wrong? Uh, living in fear, a fear of man, all these things that do not come from the heart and the mind of God. He wants us to fully live out as a spiritual orphan. So we have to know that God calls me his child, but God also gives us a help. So point number two in your notes is very vital to know, God has given me an inheritance. God has given me an inheritance. Knowing your spiritual inheritance is just as vital as knowing your identity. In Romans eight seventeen, it says that we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And if we're co-heirs with Jesus who received an inheritance from the Father, we also get that inheritance as well. Ephesians 1 talks about all the inheritance that we get as much as the spiritual blessings that we have been given from heaven as well. 
Now, when we have an inheritance, it's kind of twofold, in my opinion. We have an inheritance in heaven. One day, there's mansions waiting for us, streets of gold, a lake as clear as crystal. There's going to be blessings. We're going to sit before the, the judgment seat of Christ and be rewarded for the works we've done on earth. I believe that there is an inheritance when we get to heaven. But I also believe that there is a spiritual inheritance that is given to us now. Because our heavenly inheritance is a motivator for us. But our spiritual inheritance is a tool for us for the right here and the right now to accomplish the will of God and to live with freedom and with peace and all that God has given to us. I heard one preacher say it this way, that heaven is my destination, but bringing heaven to earth is my assignment. So God is fully taking care of me and I have an inheritance waiting for me, but he's also given me a spiritual inheritance now to let it be on earth as it is in heaven that we can experience the realities of heaven here and now in this world because heaven is eternal. And what we can see in heaven can also happen through here because we can manifest those things in the name of Jesus as we continue to look to him. Uh, I was going to read Luke chapter 15, uh, but because of time, I'm just going to condense it. Uh, But in Luke 15, there's three stories that really talk about a prodigal coming home uh, and the lost being found. But the third one with the prodigal son at the end of chapter 15, verse 25 to 32, it's there in your notes. We know the story. If you don't know the story, read it on your own time. It's fantastic. But the the biggest thing that strikes me in the story is not a son who got his inheritance early and squandered it and came to his senses and came back to his father and his father showed him mercy and grace. That's not the biggest story to me in this parable. The biggest story is an angry, bitter, older brother who is manifesting like a spiritual orphan. Because this guy's like, Father, I have worked for you. I have slaved for you. I have obeyed everything that you have said. I've been perfect. I have performed. And you have never given me anything. You have never blessed me. And the father, he turns back and says, I've always been with you. And everything that I own is yours. He didn't understand it. He saw the father as withholding. He saw his father as being angry with them. He saw that he was never good enough for his father. So what's worse? A sinner who runs away, but comes to his senses and comes back to the heart of his father or one who says, it's never gonna be good. It's hopeless. And I'm always gonna mess up. And my father's always not gonna fully love me. Therefore, I'm gonna live in bitterness and continue to perform, and continue to strive, and continue to do everything because I know it's the right thing to do, but expecting the wrong thing. And I believe that when it comes to our identity as sons and daughters, it's always about intimacy. But what the Father gives to us in inheritance is all about partnering with his heart so that we can see what he wants to be done on earth happen because he always uses human beings. He created the world, but he put Adam and Eve. He created the law, but he used Moses. He created a kingdom, but he put David. He wanted to save the world from their sins. So in the form of a human being, he sent his only son to die for our sins. And thousands of years later, it's no different. God still wants to use us. He still is in the business of using men and women to partner with him and to carry out his will on earth as it is in heaven. But will we answer the call of saying, I'm going to live my life fully clothed in the reality that I am a dearly loved child of God. I won't act like an orphan. I won't be bitter. I won't think it's about survival. And I won't just try to do good things for the sake of good things. I'm going to stay in constant connection with my father and carry out his will through intimacy 
and through relationship. And I'll close with this story. Uh, in my research, I came across uh, a true story that it first broke my heart, and then it fired me up for the world that we live in. It's a story. A 40-year-old lady was giving a speech, and she, she shared her journey as a foster child and wanted to be adopted. Both her parents were killed in a car accident when she was a baby, and she was an orphan right from the start of her life. And she remembers being in an orphanage, and she was probably about 13 years old at the time. And she wasn't the prettiest, the smartest. She'd been bypassed multiple times. But one day she heard the news that somebody was coming to take her home. And she was so excited because every single day, day and night, all she could ever think about was being with the family. So she got connected to this family. She moved in with this family. She started school. And she was the happiest little girl you can imagine. She worked really hard at wanting to be loved. And she believes that's why so many people gave up on her because she was trying too hard to be loved. But she was going to school, making friends, and one day she was skipping home from school, and she walks into the house. Nobody is home, but she looks down, and she sees her tattered suitcase with her old coat thrown across it, and she knows what that meant. She meant that she's no longer welcome here anymore. And as she's giving this speech, you know, there's not a dry eye in the room, and she's sharing her heart, and she goes, matter-of-factly, as she clears her throat, she says, that happened to me seven times before I turned 13 years old. Can you imagine? Can you imagine desperately wanting a family just to be loved and to love? And constantly, for whatever reason, them giving up on you and saying there's no place for you here. And she says, but don't feel bad for me. Because time after time, I realize that people are going to fail me. And that's just the reality. But that pain actually led her to salvation where she found a father who would never give up on her, where she found a spiritual family that could be imperfect, but there was true, genuine, eternal love. And I'm telling you, in this world, there are people who are not dying to get a ticket to heaven. There are people who are dying and desperately wanting access to the heart of God, to be loved again, to feel fulfilled, to have a calling, to be welcomed into a family. I grew up on the streets of San Diego, and I saw people literally killing each other sawed off shotguns in the middle of the night, gang against gang, bodies all over the place, gang members in my own high school, people beating each other up to a bloody pulp. And I remember walking home and seeing my street sign, Christy and Rebecca. I remember I'm looking at that street sign at seven years old thinking, why are they killing each other for this name? They're killing each other because this is my street and not your street. I couldn't get it until years later when I finally understood they weren't killing each other for rights to a certain street. They were killing each other because of family against family. Somebody killed a family member, so they went and retaliated. And these wars went on for generations, literally generations. Grandfathers who had wars with other grandfathers, their grandchildren are still on the streets doing the same thing. Some of my own youth students were gunned down and ran over at 16 years old. And I couldn't understand it until I realized they're dying because that's the only family they know. And they will protect it with their life. If human beings can fight that hard and give up their lives for a family that means nothing, street gangs, how much more when people are welcomed into the family of God? How much more when you're living not just for yourself or for this life, but for all eternity and beyond? And that the only thing we can take to heaven is other people. The only thing we can take to heaven is souls. But it's up to us because we may be the only Bible somebody reads. 
As we heard earlier, we may be the one voice that that one person needs to hear that finally leads them to salvation. Will we partner with God? And I know it becomes easier and easier to partner with God when we realize we're loved by him. So Father, we thank you for your goodness and thank you that we can call you Father. And thank you that in this world, we have had people fail us and hurt us and we've gone through things. But we know we have a, a hope to cling to, and that's you. We know that you are trustworthy and you are faithful. You were faithful then, you are faithful now. But fathers, we sit in this place in your presence through worship and the sharing of what's been on our hearts and the teaching from the word of God. We know that we are in your presence and we are asking, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, that you would deposit in our hearts a heightened sensitivity and a deeper desire to go deeper into your heart and in your love. God, would you make these things that we have learned about since we were in kids' church become so much more real to us? Father, would you disturb us? In the name of Jesus, I ask that you would disturb us in a sense where what we have called normal and what we have tolerated and what we have gone on consistently every day would now not become contented, would not settle for some reason but that there's a new desire, a fresh desire that wants to go deeper and help us, God. So I thank you for your love and I thank you for what we've been able to accomplish here today. As we go on now to our, our meeting to talk about further fellowship, as we go on to watch football or share a meal, as we begin a brand new week, let us always keep in the forefront of our minds and our hearts a focus on this amazing father that loves us. Help us, God, to realize more and more to our behaviors change, to where our souls are transformed and to a further glory of who you've created us to be. Bless my friends here. And as we go out into a new week, may we carry your light, your love, and your joy in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. For those who are hanging around, we'll see you in the fellowship hall in just a little bit.